Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on October 25th, 2021. Not only are we bringing you another episode, but we are bringing you an important announcement. Any students who are listening to this podcast are encouraged to stick around to the end to hear it. Got a great opportunity coming down the pipes, and we're looking to grow our team. But that's enough for housekeeping. Let's get into the data and news stories that you typically come here for. First, the WTI price is doing incredibly well. At the time of writing, the price is at $85.06. Late Sunday, we saw some activity as it sat around 84 and a half, which is up from what it closed at Friday in the high $83 range. At this point, it's coming down to supply and demand fundamentals. Oil inventories in Cushing, Oklahoma are quickly dropping, and at this rate, they could be dry in a matter of weeks. Those tanks require a minimum amount of oil to operate, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million barrels. In two weeks, those stocks fell more than 4 million barrels, all the way down to 31, so things will get tight there. The price of WTI is up about $10 in a month and shows no signs of stopping. Natural gas is finally seeing some love as it goes up to $5.702. It had dropped to $5 flat this time last week, but rose slow and steady to five and a quarter by Friday, only to shoot up on Sunday afternoon. I believe the price is still wrong for natural gas, as it should be recording much higher than this, but we'll just have to wait patiently for winter to come. Next, the rig count. The bad news is that we are down one rig in the U.S. Still, we've seen such exceptional growth in recent weeks that this will likely be overshadowed by another significant increase very soon. As far as the major basins are concerned, the Permian sticks to business as usual and tacks on one rig. The DJ Niall Brera lost one, but other than that, there are no major changes. I think this is one of the quietest reports we've seen all year. A state perspective gets a little more exciting as New Mexico added two, while Louisiana and California added one. Wyoming was the biggest loser at three, with Texas and Utah following at one rig lost each. This week we are down two rigs targeting oil, but up one rig targeting natural gas. The rest of the data is pretty bland, so I'll save you the pain of sifting through it. Like I mentioned, an abnormally slow week, but as far as negatives go, negative one is just about the best you can do. Lastly, the inventory report, which you should have been able to read on rarepetro.com, as our weekly Thirsty Thursday report. If any of you listening are fond of gin, I encourage you to go read that full report. But for the rest of you, the EIA started to realize that we've been seeing a few builds over the past few weeks. Their original prediction saw a build of almost 2 million barrels, but the actual numbers show a more than 400,000 barrel draw. Not often that a draw is seen after a build of more than 1 million barrels is predicted, it's usually the inverse, so this could be bullish for the future. The API's report saw something a little bit different. After predicting a 2.25 million barrel build, they witnessed a 3.25 million barrel build. Not sure why there's such a range in the number here, but I suspect it is tied to gasoline. We'll get into that a little bit later. Just a reminder that even though we may see significant builds here and there, the general trend line since July projects us into negative territory by the time we hit the middle of winter. Another week or two of little changes to the crude inventory would put us well below the five-year historical range, so really it won't take much. Remember, just a year and a half ago, things were wildly different. But now it's time to move on to the real star of the week, gasoline. While crude inventories may have seen only a baby dip, gasoline took an absolute nosedive by almost five and a half million barrels. This brings it to record low territory once again. This has caused gas prices to increase by another seven cents. 
2021 has shown one of the most aggressive price increases we have seen since the years following the 2008 financial crisis. Not only that, but the minimum price for regular grade fuel is lowest in Oklahoma at $3.08 and is likely a little bit higher now. It's unlikely that you'll find gas cheaper than $3 a gallon in any state, but if you do, politely decline the home concoction that your neighbor distilled on his own. The continued draws are a result of the highest demand for gasoline since 2007. Prices are only likely to increase more before falling, so fill up sooner rather than later, folks. There was a significant draw on dislit inventories, but that is expected for this time of year. If dislits were to see record lows, it likely won't happen until about late November. Propane is fighting to reach a historically normal level of inventories, but it's really not that far off. That's all I've got for you as far as the statistics go, and it wasn't too bad of a week. Next are news stories, starting with another story from California. It sure seems like nothing good has happened since I've arrived here, and things are only getting tougher for the industry. I don't think I'm the bad omen, but pretty much a terrible coincidence. If you didn't know, California doesn't really have strict setback laws. In other states, it is not uncommon to see a rule that requires oil and gas facilities or wells to remain a minimum distance from public or residential spaces. If a state hasn't imposed a rule like that yet, it is only a matter of time, like we are seeing in the case of California. Governor Newsom proposed a 3,200-foot setback from homes, schools, hospitals, and other populated areas. Now, as some of you might know, there is loads of oil and gas activity in dense and populated areas like L.A. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's only second to Kern County in terms of magnitude of production. Lots of activity in commercial and industrial districts along the coast, but there are even some wells massed behind fake buildings that drown out the sound and sight of extracting natural resources. Producers find it easier to operate this way, and it saves residents of the surrounding area from experiencing disturbances. Still, that is not why this decision is being pushed forward. The champions of legislation arguing for a setback have said that there are racial ties to oil and gas. They claim that a disproportionate amount of black and Latino residents are affected by oil and gas activity, and some studies suggest that there is a correlation between being close to oil and gas operations and health defects. Newsom has highlighted that more than 2 million residents in the state live within a half-mile of oil and gas drilling sites, as he referenced them, and wants to put an end to the injustice. Don't get me wrong, I do think setbacks have a place in certain situations, and yes, there are probably more people of color living close to these operations as compared to white people. But this law makes it seem like the industry is preying on the impoverished. There are many factors at play, like socioeconomic differences, growing income inequality, and the not-in-my-backyard attitude that prevents white people, and all other people for that matter, from willingly accepting oil and gas operations near their property, despite the reliance on the resource. I'm not really blaming anyone here. I, too, wouldn't want that in my backyard if I could choose. Nobody wants to live close to any form of industrial operation, whether that be oil, food processing, or chemical manufacturing. That is what makes these areas that much more accessible to low-income families. I guarantee you these are all greater factors that can explain why more people of color are living close to oil and gas sites, but that wouldn't put the industry into a bad light or get any action from political leaders in California. I understand this is a sensitive subject to touch on as it gets into discussions of race inequality which have the right to be discussed and improved upon. All Rare Petro is saying is that California is muddling the cause and effect of their problems and using the industry as a scapegoat, which, in turn, will only increase their already significant dependence on foreign sources of energy and likely hurt those people they were looking to benefit in the first place. Go ahead and pinch yourself before this next story, because it might come off as a bit fishy. 
Saudi Arabia has announced that it plans to be at net zero emissions by 2060. Counterintuitively, they have also announced that they plan to expand production, likely so that they can sell oil to the other suckers who refuse to produce it from their own soil. To offset this growth in production, they have targeted hydrogen fuel generation and announced plans for a $5 billion generation facility. Honestly, these guys have some smart people working almost exclusively in the world of energy, so they just might be able to pull off large-scale production. While the 2060 goal comes about a full decade later than most other people in the game, it seems that they are attempting to appease the short term by doubling their goals for reduction in 2030. At this point, the energy transition is at full steam, and 2030 will highlight the largest winners and losers pursuing massive energy change. I, for one, am excited to see how it goes, especially in the case of Saudi Arabia rebranding themselves as dual oil and green energy producers. Saudi Arabia's first renewable energy plant opened in April, and its first wind farm began generating in August. But even then, the nonprofit Climate Action Tracker Consortium gives Saudi Arabia its lowest possible ranking of critically insufficient. Just goes to show that there's no pleasing everybody. But that is all we have for this episode, as I didn't get any questions. Again, you're welcome to ask us anything. You can even ask for Halloween costume ideas. We don't care. Well, I, I do suppose we would like it to be within the realm of energy, but we are always happy to communicate with our audience directly. Go ahead and shoot us a message at podcast at rarepetro.com. For other content, you can go to www.rarepetro.com to find more podcasts, weekly articles, and videos. Now, to get to that announcement I've been teasing at, are you a student who will be around for another year or two? If so, we've got an opportunity for you to join the media team. That's right, we're looking for a student associate to come on board and work with the likes of myself, Kevin, Scott, and Niels in order to generate content very much like this podcast and what we post to our website. There's a lot of creative freedom afforded, so if you have an idea for a podcast segment or a weekly periodical that you'd like to record... It's entirely possible for you to use our studio to script, record, edit, research, do everything through Rare Petro. Two years ago, I was the student who came in to fill this role as I was hungry for experience. At the time, I saw it as just a temporary gig that would hopefully get me some of that experience I was hungry for, but my expectations weren't really high. Take it from me, it's a lot more than that. I gained immediate exposure to aspects of the industry that were never discussed in school, and it's only made me that much better of an engineer and person. I know it sounds like I'm talking it up just to make the sale, but I cannot stress just how enriching it has been to work in that position, as I learned things that any other company would not have the resources to expose me to. If you are interested in the position, please email podcast at rarepetro.com, or you can email me any questions directly at tkillian, that's T-K-I-L-I-A-N, at rarepetro.com. Again, this is a great way to gain knowledge in other parts of the industry, so don't sleep on this opportunity. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.